0: Wisconsin has long been an important swing state, but it's grown into a major battleground in the fight for democracy. As Republicans and conservative groups continually attack voting rights in the state courts, all eyes are on the Wisconsin Supreme Court race that will determine the ideological majority of this vitally important court. This is Defending Democracy, a weekly podcast from Democracy Docket. Where are your hosts, I'm Mark Elias.
1: And I'm Paige Moskowitz, let's get started.
0: Joining us today is Ben Wickler, chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. He's held that position since 2019. And during that time, Ben and the Wisconsin Democratic Party have already flipped one state Supreme Court seat. They helped President Biden win the state in 2020. And they reelected statewide Democratic officials in 2022 and so much more. Welcome to Defending Democracy, Ben. Thank you so much. And thanks for Defending Democracy. <laughs> well, thank you too. Let me start with kind of where it all began. How did you become interested in democratic politics? How did you? What was the path to becoming the legendary state party chair that you are now in Wisconsin? Uh, you're uh, wildly too kind. But I I grew up in a Wisconsin
1: that had been at the forefront of the progressive movement in some ways for 150 years. Uh, Wisconsin was the state that first declared the Fugitive Slave Act unconstitutional and helped spark the Civil War in, in, uh, in a good way. Uh, it was the first state to ratify the 19th Amendment, the first state to have protections in the law for LGBTQ people. And I grew up hearing about all this from my parents who were both progressive themselves in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a progressive bastion. And then when I was 11, my godmother ran for Congress, a woman named Ada Deer who became the first American Indian woman to win a congressional primary. And I still have her, like, placard up on my kitchen wall. It says, run like a deer. What congressional uh, district was it? The second congressional district, the, the one representing Madison. In the 90s, there was a Republican named Scott Klug, who now is you know, very much not in sync with the Republican Party, but he was the kind of moderate Republican who could win blue districts back in the day. And so she ran against him, and she wound up losing in the general election. But even just working on the primary, she had been the chair of the Menominee Nation in in Wisconsin. And when she won the primary, uh, she came out on stage and said, I've been waiting a long time to say this, me nominee, which became the headline in the newspaper the next day. And I got so fired up with that. I interned for Russ Feingold when I was in college. I volunteered for Tammy Baldwin uh, when she was uh,
0: running for her first congressional primary. And for those of you who don't know, Russ Feingold, a uh, uh, legendary progressive senator from Wisconsin, and of course, Tammy Baldwin was a member of the House before she became a current senator in Wisconsin. She started as a, as a county board member while she was in law
1: school in Madison then was elected to the State Assembly, and when I was in high school, I used to help organize debates between state legislators about different topics, like should the drinking age be lower, and uh, great interest to teenagers. And she would come to the debates and always mop the floor with the Republicans. And when she ran for Congress, my friends and I all volunteered for her, because she was someone who clearly cared about young people. And the, next, the day after her primary, the headline in the local paper was Youthquake, because so many young people had turned out to support her. Um, and then she's had this amazing career. So when I was growing up, every time I got involved in politics, I got more idealistic rather than less, which is not the usual experience people have with you know, electoral politics in this country. Uh, but that's the way I want politics to be, a place where you know, idealism can turn into practical
0: progress for people. So then I know you got very involved in national politics. With, you were at MoveOn, uh, which uh, was a behemoth of in the progressive movement, still is. Uh, and then decided, I guess you wanted to be a state party chair. Tell me about that decision.
1: So, the thing I knew for sure is that I wanted to raise my kids in Wisconsin. Um, something that i talked to my wife about ever since we met in college. And you know, she recounts the story in the first conversation that we had when we went on a date. I talked about that's, that's where I wanted my, you know, my life to go eventually. But it took a, a while and lots of twists and turns. In 2018, my wife and I moved back to Wisconsin. We actually moved into the house where I grew up, which I bought now from, from my mom. And I'm raising my kids there. We have three kids. And I, I thought I was going to work remotely for MoveOn. But then, pretty quickly, it became clear that the my predecessor, state party chair Martha Lanning, who's extraordinary, uh, decided not to run for another term, and I had an opportunity not just to you know work to generally move the ball forward and across the country, but to really fight for the state that I love so much, and centrally for me to try to fight against a machine that was rigging the whole system so that we wouldn't be a democracy. It really to be a Democrat in this moment in Wisconsin is, it's not just about the, the big D Democratic party, it's about the idea of democracy itself. And that's been the project for these last four years as chair, stopping Republicans from getting super majorities in the legislature, trying to block their attempts to, to rig the whole election system, trying to ensure that they couldn't overturn presidential elections, which they came very close to doing in 2020. Um, that's, the, that's the moment we're in right now. It's, it's because of a bunch of successes along the way, We have a chance to actually start dismantling a system of authoritarianism that Republicans have built. Uh, But the, the ultimate goal here is that I want my kids to grow up in a democracy that inspires their idealism instead of the really poisonous cynicism that Republican politicians have infected the state with over these last, really,
0: 12 years since 2010. So for people who don't know how Wisconsin went from having a Republican member of Congress who who was representing Madison, and uh, it sounds like you were setting up debates that Republican legislators were showing up at uh, with uh, Tammy Baldwin in the state legislature. How did how did we wind up in Wisconsin, moving from that sort of you know imperfect version of the Republican party to what is now, as you point out, really an authoritarian version? of the Republican Party in Wisconsin? Was it just Scott Walker or was there something broader? Well, it's interesting, it's an interesting question because I,
1: you know, interning for Russ Feingold was in the the office of, of the co-author of the McCain-Feingold campaign finance law. And then the lawsuit to overturn it was Citizens United. And in the immediate wake of Citizens United, Americans for Prosperity, the Koch brothers network, targeted Wisconsin as their kind of test case the laboratory through which they would demonstrate the the power of their model so they flooded the state with money that not only helped elect Scott Walker and flip the state legislature which was a democratic trifecta coming out of 2008 to a red trifecta Wow. Wow think about think about that yeah it's it is not I mean we've been nowhere close to that ever since because of the way that they rigged everything immediately after that election they also put Ron Johnson into power Ryans Priebus was the state party chair for the Republic for the for the GOP at that time uh, the you know Paul Ryan was in his ascendancy that there are several different factions of this whole Republican machine but especially the the radical part of it that wants to seize power at all costs was kind of coming together and they're there's this very wealthy family um, that the, now called the Uline family, but it's connected to the Bradleys, connected ultimately to the Schlitz beer empire. The Koch brother money flooded in, and suddenly elections were being decided by these dark money, massive independent expenditures. And what they did immediately after they took power in 2010, led by Scott Walker, but with a whole lot of cast of characters, they set about dismantling everything that had made democracy work in the state. So target number one was unions. They immediately went after public sector unions and they went after private sector unions. Uh, Then they changed campaign finance law to allow individuals to make unlimited donations to state parties, state parties to transfer unlimited amounts to candidates and made it incredibly hard to register to vote. We're the second hardest state in the country to register to vote in Wisconsin. We're number 47 out of 50 when it comes to the ease of voting. But the center of their system of control was to gerrymander our legislative maps so far that under the current maps, Republicans can lose the majority of, of votes for state legislature by 11 points and still have a majority in both chambers of the legislature. And that, that's the central curse because it means that no Republican has to worry about the general electorate coming after them. They only have to look over their right shoulder for a primary challenger. And the state GOP and the Republican assembly speaker, they can flood money into candidates' campaigns to make sure they choose who wins the primary. So it's a system that allows you know, the kind of puppet mastering from the top and means that voters don't have a say in what kind of bills would ever pass the state. The, the best we can do is vetoing bad Republican bills, and they're a hair's breadth away from getting supermajorities to be able to even override a veto. That's the situation we're in as of this moment.
0: Yeah, and you did tremendously important work in the 2022 midterms. Uh, thanks to your leadership, you re-elected uh, Governor Evers, the the linchpin in preventing those bad laws. Uh, you re-elected Josh Call, uh, someone I know very well, uh great Attorney General uh, in the state. You re-elected the Secretary of State, which was part of a weird, bizarre gambit that the Republicans had, where they were going to try to rejigger how uh, elections were administered. Um, Before we get to the very important Wisconsin Supreme Court race, tell me a little bit about 2022 and how you were able to achieve those victories while also keeping Republicans out of supermajority. Uh, in the legislature, because you guys are a, a a real unique state party in the amount of organizing and and effort you are able to um, support. Uh, thank you. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the state legislature
1: part because that was the, in some ways the scariest thing. If Republicans had gotten a few is two thousand four hundred and ninety nine more votes in the right two districts. It was one-tenth of one percent of all the votes cast in the state spread across just two assembly districts. They would have had super majorities in both legislative chambers. And the battle to stop that from happening was the, the thing that had me losing the most leap in the, in the very final stretch of the election. But it, all of it came together, and it came together not just because of what we did in the final few weeks, but because starting before I was chair in 2017, my predecessor launched a year-round organizing campaign the idea was to use the Obama model, where you hire organizers not to knock on doors, but rather to build teams of volunteers, and the teams stay and can keep recruiting more volunteers even when there's no staffer present, but to do that through the state party on a year-round basis, so they work on local elections and you know spring elections and special elections, as well as on the big blockbuster races. I came in in 2019, there were teams all over the state, I've worked day and night to uh, work with an amazing team of organizers and, and other staff to kind of supercharge that operation and add the virtual organizing and digital organizing components that allow us to welcome volunteers even who don't live near a team. That presence means that as we get close to elections, there are thousands and tens of thousands of volunteers who've been plugged in one time or another, know they're local. It's sort of like the famous, you know, block captains from from the, you know, the daily political machine of old. But these are in rural areas and suburbs and cities alike all over the state. And we knock on doors all the time. I mean, before the February 21st Supreme Court primary this winter, in the middle of winter, well below freezing temperatures, we knocked on 71,000 doors before the primary. And we're gonna do a multiple of that number in the the six-week general election we're in now, which we'll talk more about. Uh, But having that constant communication with voters, so we do that, we do voter protection on a year-round basis. Uh, We have a a bunch of people on her voter protection team and they organize and make sure we have poll workers, poll watchers, have attorneys on tap, have a voter protection hotline, do absentee ballot chase and cure programs, all this stuff to make sure that when people do vote, when we get out the vote, the votes actually count. And that is critical, especially in a state like Wisconsin, where elections routinely
0: come down to the tiniest imaginable margins. Well, we'll talk more about how people can um, support uh, the Wisconsin Democratic Party, but I want to make sure everyone knows it's money well spent when you give to to Ben and his team. Um, they are doing uh, incredibly important work. And I want to talk about the incredibly important work in front of you. Uh, everyone is in America knows we have a presidential election coming up in 2024, but we have another election coming up much, much sooner in Wisconsin, which everyone needs to pay attention to and understand the stakes. And that is uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. Uh, It is officially nonpartisan, uh, but there is a, (laughs) to say there is a world of difference between the two candidates probably understates the size of the world. Uh, The liberal candidate, um, Janet Protosiewicz, is facing, a election denier, uh, Dan Kelly, uh, who had formerly been on the state supreme court and uh, was endorsed uh, by Donald Trump but lost uh, in uh, uh, in 2020, is now running again. Um, tell, talk to us about this election. What is it? What does it mean? What, what what will it what will it do to the state of Wisconsin, good or bad? What does it mean for that that crazy 11 point cushion of a gerrymander that it sounds like Republicans have in the state legislature. Tell us about this this election. This election
1: is for all the marbles. And when I say that, I don't just mean for Wisconsin itself, because Wisconsin is the hinge for the whole country, where the, the state that tipped, I'm sorry to say, Trump over the top in 2016 and the state that tipped Biden over the top in 2020 And we're the state that the Republicans are obsessed with for 2024 to the point that they're having their next Republican National Committee meeting here. They've scheduled the first Republican primary debate here, and they've put the Republican National Convention here in Wisconsin. If you look at the list of states that they need, we're the state that seals the deal for them for the next presidential race. And you can draw a direct line from 2024, the November election, to April 4th in Wisconsin for the state Supreme Court. April 4th of this year. It is April 4th of 2023. So this is a race to fill an open seat. The, the conservative state Supreme Court uh, chief justice is retiring. So that means that neither candidate's an incumbent. That's significant because once you're elected uh, to an open seat in our state Supreme Court, you almost are always reelected. No one's lost reelection after being elected this way in the last 70 years. And these terms are 10 years long. So this immediate race will determine the you know, the, the, the Supreme Court justice who holds the seat for the next three presidential elections. But just starting with this next one, the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin came closest of any court in the country to overturning the 2020 election. It was one vote on our state Supreme Court. And <laughs> the, if, if we had lost in 2020 against Dan Kelly, he would have cast the deciding vote to overturn the 2020 election. And when I say that, I'm not just speculating. After he lost the state Supreme Court race, he became an advisor to the Republican Party here, was advising them on the fake elector scheme, went on a, a, quote, election integrity tour across the state with other big lie election deniers, and was being, was cashing checks from the Republican Party until December of 2022 while he was an active candidate. He is deeply, deeply immersed in the whole apparatus of trying to subvert and overturn our elections and he wants to get back on the court now so he can finish the job. He is, he's a creature of the Federalist Society right-wing judicial machine, and worse. He, he was the president of the Federalist Society chapter in Milwaukee, he was a legal advisor to Wisconsin Right to Life, which supports this near-total abortion ban that we have in the state, and this seat will determine the balance of power on our state Supreme Court. If Janet Protasiewicz wins, it flips for the first time in 15 years to a progressive majority. If Dan Kelly gets it, it stays conservative. It's not just overturning elections it's suppressing the vote the state supreme court has over and over ruled in ways that make it harder for people to cast ballots or even threaten to throw out ballots people have already cast i'll give you one example from last year after governor evers vetoed a t- uh, republican bills to try to uh, stamp out absentee ballot drop boxes the state supreme court invented essentially out of whole cloth a justification to ban drop boxes entirely in our state and make it illegal to return even a relative's absentee ballot, which they call ballot harvesting. A ludicrous ruling in which the majority opinion compared Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin's democracy to Syria's and North Korea's, if I remember correctly, um, or Iraq under, under Saddam Hussein, like totally out to lunch, ultra, ultra, ultra mega stuff. It's like Mike Lindell sits on our state Supreme Court that's the faction that Dan Kelly's involved with. So if he wins, it's, it's grim for the next presidential election. It makes it much harder, or makes it at least as hard as it was last time, and we only won by 7 tenths of a percentage point in 2020, if they win. But if we win, everything could change. Because it's not just that the state Supreme Court wouldn't overturn elections or wouldn't suppress the, the vote and find new ways to throw out Democratic votes. It's also that the state Supreme Court would give a fair hearing to arguments that the legislative maps Republicans have drawn are unconstitutional, which could lead to a mid-decade redistricting the way that Pennsylvania's did after they got a a more reasonable state Supreme Court in the last decade. That could flip two U.S. House seats. That could give Democrats a shot at winning the majorities in the state legislature. The state Supreme Court could also, uh, I I think it's almost certain, to hear a case about the near-total abortion ban that's on the books that was passed before the Civil War has no exception for rape or incest or the health of the mother starts at zero weeks using uses ancient terms like quickening that no doctor or court is sure how to interpret that abortion man is currently it's, it's like it's in effect in effect because no one sh- is sure if it's in effect or not uh, so no one there, there are no providers for safe and legal abortions in the state of wisconsin right now but the state supreme court could throw that out and and rightly recognize that other laws that have been passed since then should supersede it so Wisconsin could go from essentially having policies that make us look like a bright red state in the deep south to looking like a purple state in the upper Midwest, like what we are in our hearts, and ideally give a, a fair shot for, for folks who have progressive values and ideals to make their case to voters and have the chance to put those policies into effect if they, if they win a fair and free and secure election. That's, that's the opportunity to turn Wisconsin into a democracy, and that's all coming
0: up on April 4th. Yeah, and I want to highlight a couple of things, Ben, that you said. The first is that, you know, I practice and look at uh, election laws in all 50 states. I'm pretty familiar with not every state Supreme Court or state highest court, but but many of them. And and there is no court right now that is as far to the right and anti-democracy that by one vote, by one vote, could shift as far to a sensible place as Wisconsin. So if you just, you know, when you look at this election, the, the difference, the practical difference on that court between, you know, one candidate winning or the other is, is as dramatic as anywhere in the country. The second is I want to highlight a point that you made that I think uh, people need to reflect and everybody listening to this podcast needs to think about. I represented uh, President Biden and the Democratic Party in 60-plus cases in the post-election in 2020. And there has become this kind of sense that all of these cases were nonsense and the courts laughed them out out of court. You correctly point out the closest we came, the closest we came to having a court throw out the popular will of the electorate. And literally flipped the results was in Wisconsin, whereby one vote on the state supreme court they didn't do that. I mean, the 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 three conservative ju- justices who voted in that case would have literally thrown out tens of thousands of ballots of lawful voters um, and out and altered the outcome of the election. So. I, I think it's really imp- important people understand how critical this election is, but I but I want to ask you specifically because you mentioned it before um, about how gerrymandered uh, Wisconsin's state legislature is, and you talk about what the role of the court could play here, and it's it's pretty dramatic, right? I mean, set aside Congress for a second, set aside the congressional maps. You're saying that a majority of of the citizens of Wisconsin supported democratic candidates for state legislature but yet we are at almost a supermajority for republicans and that this that this this state supreme court election could restore a sensible balance there so could you just walk through this again one more time Absolutely,
1: it, it, it cannot be underscored enough because it seems crazy. It, uh, just to it, be clear, it, it seems crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It is so over the top. It is really the defining fact of Wisconsin politics right now that there's there, there's a, a a study that looked at Wisconsin and concluded that we're a democracy desert that's similar to Syria or the Congo in terms of the state legislative gerrymandering, because it's so hard for what the public wants to be translated into you know into electoral outcomes but the the way this works is this in 2011 Republicans laser etched the state and drew some of the most aggressive gerrymandered maps the country had ever seen Uh, you know legislative districts that looked like letters of the alphabet rather than uh, delineations of communities Uh, this there was a lawsuit It went to the state Supreme Court, which was conservative-dominated at the time. Scott Walker's hand-picked attorney to defend the gerrymandered maps was a guy named Dan Kelly, who, yes, is the current candidate, Republican candidate for the state Supreme Court. Um, His reward for his success in that case was being appointed by Scott Walker uh, to the state Supreme Court in 2016. In 2018, Governor Evers ran for governor in no small part on the premise of believing in fair maps and pledging to veto any attempts to gerrymander the state again. And in 2021, in fact, Republicans passed gerrymandered maps through the state legislature, and Governor Evers vetoed them. He had appointed a People's Maps Commission, like the Iowa Commission, an independent group of people to look and propose maps that would be more fair. So he proposed maps that came out of that. Then the state Supreme Court, in a 4-3 partisan majority, announced that the criteria that they would use to choose the next set of maps would be the maps that made the least changes to the 2011 gerrymandered maps, as though that was somehow fair. In 2011, a third of the voters in the state were moved to new districts in order to maximize Republican success. And now the state, now the state Supreme Court is saying that the fairest thing is to choose the maps that most closely hew to the previous gerrymander. So fair enough, said Governor Evers. I will propose least changes maps. And he proposed some maps that at least Added, I think, tripled the number of competitive districts, and the Republicans said that they proposed a set of maps that just maximized Republican support. And the, briefly, the state Supreme Court said, "Well, I guess we have to follow at least what we said and go with the least changes." Then the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in in an unsigned shadow docket opinion and struck, and basically sent the maps back to the state Supreme Court on the basis of a totally ludicrous Voting Rights Act claim because the maps that Governor Evers had proposed expanded the number of majority black districts in the state and the US Supreme Court said, we need to see your Voting Rights Act analysis before we agree that that's okay. Even though the black population had grown by 10%, the white population had shrunk by 3%. Anyway, putting all that aside, the state Supreme Court then came back and said, well, if there's a problem with the maps that made the least changes to 2010, I guess we'll just choose the Republican maps flat out and chose the most, according to independent analyses, the most gerrymandered maps in the United States. In a 50-50 state, Republicans have six out of the eight congressional seats, and a, a, sh- a shadow distance, like it's two assembly seats and uh, a zero to one state senate seats, depending on the special election happening, out of the 132 legislative seats. Um, that's how close we are to
0: Republican supermajorities. And you're saying that's not even with a 50-50. There were more people who voted for Democrats for state legislature. Well, we had more votes in 2018 and 2012.
1: What happens is when the maps are this gerrymandered, a lot of people don't want to run in districts that they know are absolutely impossible to win. And so if you just add up the number of votes cast, Republicans had more votes for state legislature this time. Um, but that's you know because There were in some districts. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, even with that, we got more votes in 2012 and 2018. In this moment, if you look at the governor's race, we won by 3.4 percentage points. And yet, Republicans in that same election in that same year, um, and of course, we had candidates in every remotely competitive district, Republicans really, you know, uh, Got, got pretty much every, every one of the key seats with a handful, a handful of exceptions that we were able to stop them through enormous, enormous efforts. But just to be clear here, this was a good year for Democrats in Wisconsin, which was the result of an enormous amount of work. If we had a slightly worse year, they would have super majorities in both chambers. But they might be winning, <clears throat> you know, by 1% statewide in that environment, and they would get two-thirds super majorities enough to override the governor's veto. It's a gun sitting on the table. And to make matters worse, what they've promised to do, if they win supermajorities or if they win the governorship and hold the legislature, is they want to rig our state's electoral system. There's a number of different plans. There's one bill that has been proposed, it hasn't moved very far, thankfully, that would allow the Attorney General to nullify statewide elections if the margin of victory is less than the number of absentee ballots. They have other proposals. uh, They've bandied around to... Uh, make the composition of the board that oversees elections, have it be appointed by the members of Congress, which because the maps are gerrymandered would guarantee a Republican majority on that board. They have another idea to move the power to the Secretary of State, but they would only do that, of course, if Republican becomes Secretary of State, so we won that race, so that's off the table. I mean, the, the whole thing for them is use, it's like they want to wish for more wishes, but what they're wishing for at every turn is power at the expense of democracy. And unless we win the state Supreme Court race, this time, there may not be another opportunity for years to break out of this doom loop where they get to choose the districts that determine who has the power to draw the districts. The state Supreme Court, is the it's like the elevator shaft in the Death Star in the end of Star Wars. It's the one way that we can fly in and blow this whole thing up and, and turn the state into a place where if
0: if voters want something, they can actually get it out of their state government. So I have to ask you about a couple of other things that I think should be national scandals that involve uh, Wisconsin uh, that have gotten some attention, but I don't think as much as they should. The first is this guy, Robert Spindell, who wrote an email celebrating, celebrating uh, Republican efforts to suppress turnout in Milwaukee, particularly among black and Hispanics. Like pretty overtly racist, pretty like out there. He when it came out, he was not apologetic. And he's on your state election board. What the hell is going on there?
1: He Bob Spindell, he is the Senate president, and the gerrymandered state senate. He is the Senate president's appointee to the Wisconsin Elections Commission. He was also a fake elector, by the way, uh let me forget. Uh, and the state legislature was very involved. I was a, a real elector. And on that same day that I was in the state, uh, the, you know, the, the governor's office waiting for the state Supreme Court decision to reject Trump's lawsuit before we could cast our electoral college votes, by the way, uh, which, again, one by one vote, on that same day, the fake electors with the full support of our Republican state legislators were in there uh, hiding out, moving from room to room, casting their fake electoral college votes. This guy was one of those guys. Uh, that failed. But nonetheless, he went on to now being in this position where he was celebrating. I have the, his email in front of me. He says, uh, we can be especially proud of the city of Milwaukee 80.2% Dem vote casting 37,000 less votes than cast in 2018 election with the major reduction happening in the overwhelming Black and Hispanic areas. And then he does a bullet point list of what he describes as a well thought out and multifaceted plan that led to this happening, which includes... He wrote extremely significant continued court litigation, which is an obvious reference to the fact that our state Supreme Court, every time it could, hammered on voting rights. This has been the the GOP's whole project, and they are explicit about it, that they wanna make sure black people and and Latino people and then young people and people with disabilities, those are the big four, they wanna stop them from voting so that Republicans can keep control. And we, we, we should remember, Mandela Barnes lost by a single percentage point to Ron Johnson. You can draw a direct line between Ron Johnson's victory and this giant Republican machine that has been bent on making sure the people that they don't like can't cast a ballot. It it makes me sick. But it, again, goes directly to the state Supreme Court race right now because the only way that all of this could change, the only way we could become a pro-voter state is if we get a state Supreme Court that looks that, you know, takes seriously arguments about the constitutionality of gerrymandered maps, which could lead to the the undoing of the gerrymander, which could lead to an actual stop for Democrats to win the state legislature and change our voting laws.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when this came out, I, I said publicly that in a normal political system, like with a minimum amount of decency and accountability, even if the Republican state Senate leadership didn't mean it. Like even if they were pretending, they would call for this guy's resignation or replace him with another Republican, right? Just because. But the fact is that the Republican uh, party is so non-responsive to the concerns of decency and propriety. They they just kind of like shrug this off as like, "Eh, yeah, we you know, our our person suppresses you know. One is, is celebrating the, the, the suppression of black and Latino voters. It's it's crazy. I, I don't want this to fade away because
1: it, it's such a, it's so blatant and it's so screamingly unacceptable, immoral, racist, and wrong. And yet it's kind of a humdrum thing in Wisconsin politics.
0: This is following you. Remember, uh, wasn't it a Trump uh, political person who was caught on tape, I think, in the, 2020 election talking about voter suppression? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he like, he's, he and the other Republicans in the room were laughing about it. anyone talk to any black people lately? Ha 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 ha. That this has been their strategy for a long time. There's another, there was a whistleblower, a Republican who was involved in the voter ID law Republicans passed uh, in under Scott Walker who quit and went to the media and said that Republicans, his word was, were giddy when they saw the analysis of how many black people and young people wouldn't be able to vote because of the way that they structured the law. And uh, the, the, there was an AP story that where the reporter went and interviewed different black people in Milwaukee, and nobody was surprised because they have experienced the actual, you know, what this actually does to people. Republicans have moved DMVs into hard-to-reach places for people and then required a, uh, a driver's license to be able to cast a ballot and then made it difficult for people to obtain those driver's licenses. So you wind up with, I think, half of young Black and Latino people in Milwaukee don't have a driver's license. And if you want to get an alternate voter ID, you also have to go to the DMV. <laughs> like there's, there's all these things that they've done to make it so hard for people. And those are the conditions in which we've been winning these hair's breadth victories. But imagine what, what the state would look like if everyone had the same access to the ballot. It would be a totally
0: different world. Yeah, you mentioned before uh, the fake electors scandal, uh, and of course, in addition to the connections you mentioned before about Kelly, um, we have Ron Johnson who played a cameo role in the in the uh, transmittal or his staff uh, played a cameo role in the transmittal of of messages uh, to the uh, or attempted transmission of messages uh, to Vice President Pence, but very recently, within the last few days, yet another connection has come to light, which is that the state Supreme Court has appointed, am I right, they appointed someone else connected to the fake elector scandal to a position to oversee ethics in the judiciary? I mean, this this sounds like a joke, but did I get this right? Yes, uh, you have that right.
1: Jim Troopas, who was involved in the 2020 scheme to put Republicans... I'm reading from the uh, local newspaper story here. Who's involved in the 2020 scheme to put Republican electors in place in several states, including Wisconsin, has been appointed, reappointed by the Wisconsin Supreme Court's four conservative justices to a second term on the committee that advises judges on judicial conduct. <laughs> and who is Jim Troopas, for
0: people who don't know?
1: Troopas, he was... At the center of this whole thing. The January 6th committee is full of Troopas quote after Troopas quote after Troopas quote. Uh, this is this is a guy who, uh, he's a former Dane County Circuit Court judge. And he got this memo that explained all these aspects of exactly how the fake elector scheme would work. And he was the kind of legal architect um, of of overturning the 2020 election in our state. He's the guy, he's the judicial ethics guy. And let me let me just underscore, it's not unconnected from, from Dan Kelly's bid for the state Supreme Court, because Dan Kelly's whole thing is that he will do whatever advances partisan interests, ethics be damned, he was at so Janet Protasiewicz has gotten a lot of support from the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, I'm proud to say we're, we're strongly invested in ensuring she wins, and she is committed publicly to recuse herself if the Democratic Party of Wisconsin should ever make a you know bring a case to the state supreme court. And Dan Kelly who worked for the Republican Party of Wisconsin has said that he thinks that it's a matter of personal integrity to look case by case and decide whether you have any conflict and refuse to make the same commitment about the GOP which was paying him. He the like He's somebody who had recused himself on, a, on another case and then got a $20,000 contribution from the litigant and then he unrecused himself and decided he would rule after all in that case. He's like the model of what you're not supposed to do when it comes to judicial ethics. But he has, one of his buddies from the fake elector scheme now gets to decide whether, if he were elected to the state Supreme Court, whether what he does is in fact in line with judicial ethics. It, it's, the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. And it, there are so many ways that they have set things up to, to prevent them from having any kind of public accountability. These next 29 days in the Supreme Court race are one of the very rare moments when democracy kind of gets to, to burst in on the scene like the Kool-Aid guy and say, hey, like, actually, the public gets to have a say about whether this is OK. Because outside of an election like this, the state Supreme Court is the, the highest judicial body in the land. It can override the governor. It can override the the legislature. If we've seen these judicial activists on the right, do. Uh, But you can see their plot in slow motion already for what they want to do in 2024 if they get the majority
0: on April 4th. Yeah. And I, I talk regularly about the role of the judiciary in protecting democracy because the courts are the last line of protection for individuals. You know, when the political branches fail, when you have a gerrymandered legislature that does things that deprive individuals of their constitutional rights, or engage in self-dealing, which really gerrymandering is a form of, it is the job of the judiciary to stand up and protect individuals it is their job to protect democracy that's why i called it democracy docket because democracy is on the docket in these courtrooms and and the voters of wisconsin have an opportunity in a few weeks to ensure not that you know a democrat will get on the bench or that democrats will always win before the court i don't as you could tell i didn't even pronounce the candidate's name right. I don't know the candidate. I just know we need fairness. We need exactly. fairness on the on the court. And and that is what is at stake. And so, Ben, how can people who are listening to this podcast, they are all throughout the country, so they may not be eligible to, you know, be part of your neighbor to neighbor program, but what can they do to help? So anyone
1: listening right now who believes in democracy, who thinks that we should be a democracy as a country who thinks our tipping point state should be a democracy, we need your time and your money. And they they say time is money, so maybe we just need one of the same thing. Time meaning we have all these Democrats in Wisconsin and independents who have progressive values who will vote and will vote for Janet Protisiewicz and vote against Dan Kelly if they just know about this election. And we do not have enough volunteers to call all of them because there are so many people for whom the idea of voting in April is a totally foreign concept. In other words, when you volunteer and join our virtual phone banks, and we have alongside the Neighbor to Neighbor program, we have staff just focused on working with out-of-state volunteers to join virtual phone banks and call people in Wisconsin. You'll be calling people who share your values. These are not swing voters that you have to convince that wherever you're calling from, you you understand Wisconsin. These are just people who, if they know that the total abortion ban could be decided by the next justice, if they know that the gerrymandered maps and the threats to democracy could be decided by the next justice, they will absolutely cast a ballot. And when I talk to people who are phone banking in this election, they say it is some of the most fun volunteering time they've ever had in a campaign because people are delighted to find out that they have a chance to change this mess that they've been living in for years. So first, volunteer. And you can do that if you go to wisdems.org, W-I-S-D-E-M-S dot org slash volunteer. Wisdems.org slash volunteer. You can sign up for volunteer shifts wherever you are, now through election day, and it makes a gigantic difference. More votes per hour than any campaign I've ever seen. The second thing you can do is donate. And you can do that at wisdems.org slash donate, W-I-S-D-E-M-S, or actually just go to wisdems.org. We'll we'll give you a nice big donation form right there on the page, wisdems.org. Money in this race actually changes the game, and I'll explain why. Because this is a nonpartisan election, when someone goes into the voting booth, they don't see a D or an R next to the candidate's name. So they don't know that Dan Kelly is a hardcore ultra-mega Republican operative. The only way they find out is if a volunteer calls them or knocks on their door or if they see enough ads to let it sink into their brain. And so there's one analyst who's who's looked into this and and, uh, calculated that TV ads in this campaign go 10 times as far per dollar as they do in a midterm election. Like the impact to sending someone a, a postcard or a piece of mail, putting an ad on their phone or on their TV screen is massively bigger than it is in the blockbuster, you know, governor, senate, presidential races because you start with such a low base of information. So a dollar in this race is like an investment with a massive interest rate on the 2024 presidential election. If you, if you contribute to help win this race, it has this multiplier effect because the money goes further on this race, and then this race shapes the House, the Senate, because Tammy Baldwin's up in 2024, the, the White House in 2024. If you go to wisdoms.org and chip in, whatever you can afford, and there is no limit, thanks to Scott Walker, on how much individuals can donate to the Democratic Party, we will put that money to work to support our organizing, get out the vote, voter protection, and the ads that, that can help educate voters about a race with candidates who's names they can't even pronounce. It goes a huge 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 long way and the the number of people who donate in a race like this is a tiny fraction of the number that you see in the in the big marquee races that everyone talks about on cable news. So, volunteer, chip in and help spread the word. It makes
0: all the difference in the world. So, all of you who are listening, you presumably got this podcast because you care about democracy. You care about the role of our courts. I need you right now to go do what Ben just said. I need you to, if you have time, you need to sign up to make phone calls. As Ben said, you'll be calling kindred spirit, people who just need to know that Wisconsin even elects judges and that there's an election in the middle of April. But once they know, they'll be happy to hear from you. And then if you have the ability to offset Ben, I assume what is massive, dark money and, and big money on the other side, right? I mean, you mentioned the Uline family. I'm sure you're up against the no shortage of money on the other side. It's the Ulines. And then Leonard Leo has personally
1: donated $20,000 of his own money to Dan Kelly. And I, I can't, I don't yet know exactly how many zeros are going to be behind the independent expenditures he moves into this race. They're coming hot and heavy for this thing because they know just as well as we do how important the the, the outcome is to all of their schemes or to our ability to thwart their schemes on our side. The incredible, incredible closeness of these state Supreme Court races cannot be overstated. And now we have a chance to make sure that does not happen again. I, I do not want to get to the the final stretch in 2024 and have the state Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision start throwing out student ballots and throwing out you know, provisional ballots where someone messed up their zip code and then get to election night and have the state Supreme Court intervene and stop the count counter, know, threaten to overturn the election results. If that happens, we will look back at right now and feel like we missed our chance. But if we do everything right now, we can prevent all of that from happening and have something far, far better. This is the only window where we get to have that impact. So, we, we didn't do it in 2011. We didn't do it in 2019. By God, we have to do it now. This is it. That is my message to folks. Chip in, volunteer, do whatever you can. It can change the future of this country.
0: And I wholeheartedly endorse that. And you will be investing not just in fair courts, a judiciary in Wisconsin. You'll be investing in a Democratic Party organization that is among the best in the country that operates year round, will be operating in 2023 in this race, but operating in 2024 when Senator Baldwin is up again, when the presidential uh, and congressional races are happening again. So please make sure that you, you donate and you volunteer uh, if you can. Ben, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for talking about uh, democracy in Wisconsin. And thank you, thank you for everything you're doing to ensure a fairer and more just society in Wisconsin and around the country. Mark, thank you so, so much for all of your fight and for the chance to join you today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Defending Democracy. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review. To find out more and stay up to date on the latest voting rights and elections news, visit democracydocket.com and subscribe to our free daily and weekly newsletters. We'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced by Paige Moskowitz, Alexa Roth, and Sophie Feldman. It was edited by Paige Moskowitz with help from Sophie Feldman. Defending Democracy is a production of Democracy Docket, LLC.